if you're really not happy with what's going on, then how could you take on a creator mindset? How could you take full responsibility for that and say, I want to make a change. Let's explore what's possible. That I want to encourage. But the, oh, well, nothing I can do. I'm a victim. I'm powerless here. I want to push back against that. back to another episode. I am particularly excited about today's guest. He is an old friend and uh, a professional coach. So Trip Lanier, professional coach and author of This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Melanie. Appreciate it. Trip is also a longtime podcast host, which is also kind of a fun interview because the interviewer gets interviewed, which is... Mm-hmm sort of nice. I know when I get interviewed, it's like, oh, it's great. I don't have to come up with all the questions. It's so refreshing. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So uh, today we're talking about fatherhood, fathers and sons, or fathers and daughters, fathers and children, and, and the different roles that we play in our lives. So um, we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, I would love to hear just a little about your story and specifically, how did you get on your path of consciousness, right? How did you become uh, a man who is aware, self-aware, doing his work, all of that? We all have a sort of unique on-ramp and I'm curious what the impetus for yours was. I think that I had always had a sense that, you know, I look back there, I look back, I can sense this awareness, even in the childhood. Um, that said, there was a quite a disruption. When I was 13, my, my mother took her life and I didn't deal with any of it at all. Feelings, circumstances, whatever, it all just got buried in concrete for at least 12 years. So I'm in that, by that point, I'm in my mid twenties and the person I was, was, I mean, just extremely rigid. I, my life, I didn't have any real curiosity about life. I just was, it was all about what could I control? What could I be certain about? How could I avoid conversations that were going to have me feeling vulnerable? It was lousy. It was no fun at all. I still had a lot of fun, but I was really scared of women. I was really scared of women that could challenge me. So the women I was dating tended to be just not, they were not going to be a peer of mine. They were not going to be a colleague. They were friends with benefits essentially. And, and I, I mean, I had some substantial relationships in that way, but I was really afraid to be with a woman because I was really afraid to be hurt again in that way. And so eventually trying to outrun this train, this emotional train, uh, just got too much. There was the girlfriend that I was living with at the time, uh, moved out amicably. It was like, she was starting another phase of her life. And I thought we were going to be able to kind of keep it going. And it didn't happen. All of the triggers of abandonment got flipped. And then I went through the shitter and probably, I think I lost like 30 pounds. I couldn't leave the house for several weeks. 
went through a really, really dark period and finally felt all that stuff that I was not willing to experience. And I'd ha- I had a therapist at the time and, and that, that person was helping me understand essentially what was going on and how all these pieces fit together. But essentially coming out of that place, I didn't date anybody. I didn't really, I didn't watch any TV. I didn't do anything for a year. It was essentially just this place where anything was too stimulating for me. And I just wanted to live in a cave. And I essentially did for the most part. And um, coming out of that though, it was like all the, I started to put the pieces back together. Like, well, who am I now? And I was, I found that I was really curious. What the hell just happened? So this is the first part of it, which is, oh, wow. What's, what's possible now. And there was, there seemed to be this innocence about it that I was really curious about personal growth, emotional development, emotional intelligence, spiritual growth, all of this. But what I didn't realize at the time was that there was a shadow, which was, I'm going to figure out a way. So this, this never happens again. And so I didn't realize it at the time, but my pursuit of meditation and all this highbrow personal and spiritual growth was my attempt to escape ever having to feel, you know, pain or suffering or any of that uncertainty ever again. And so I realized that I was starting to go down these paths and look for teachers and look for belief systems. And it's like, well, is this it? Is this the ticket? Is this the ticket? Is this this ticket? And then confronting that realization over and over again, is like, no, you are human. You get to have a human experience. You get to experience loss again and again, and you get to be hurt again and again. And that was a real heartbreaker for me because I thought if I could just figure this stuff out, I won't have to do it again. So there was a bit in there where it was, it was another heartbreak thinking that, okay, the spiritual path or this growth path is going to be my ticket out of being human. And, um, that wasn't the case. So I, I still catch myself in little bits, like maybe this is it. Maybe this is the thing. And a lot of my coaching clients do too, whether it's money or attention or being adored or being recognized or status, this is the thing that's going to finally unlock the door and they'll, they'll be able to go beyond this lousy experience that they're having right now as a human being. So we get better at dealing with those lousy experiences, but we don't get to escape them once and for all. So I, I'll just pause there. And that was, that's been kind of the journey. Yeah. I like what you said about locking it all down and putting it in concrete. I've definitely worked with men where it feels like they they're, they're out of the concrete enough to notice that there's concrete, (laughs) there's, there's still a lot to go. And that I think is a common experience, especially for shocking loss early on shocking loss early in, in your life can be, you know, the repercussions can be felt for a very long time. And, you know, I've talked to people also with something like sexual trauma, where it happened when they were young, say 13, and then, and they're, now they're 27 and they're just starting to go there because yeah. it's so overwhelming. It's such an overwhelming experience for the nervous system that it's kind of intolerable. And I really liked what you said about if I could just figure this out, then I'd be able to control my life such that I don't get hurt. If I could just figure this out, right. That just, if I could just figure out meditation or, or whatever we pick, but if I could just get, get to this point, if I just had enough money, like you said, right. For some of your clients, if I just had enough money, then I would be able to, to cushion myself. I wouldn't have to feel all the blows. 
Yeah, it's this idea that we're in a castle up on the hill and it's impenetrable. And I think that's a, that's a viable strategy for many of us, which is if I just had enough money or I just had enough recognition, I could go live in that castle and I'd be protected. We grew up with that idea when really I found that peace of mind is, okay, if something comes along, I'll be able to handle it. I'll learn how to deal with it. Right. Which is sort of the striving for resilience rather than striving for control which is a pretty big shift in perception. And, and so I'm curious on the way to your sort of where you are now, what, what were just a few of the highlights of things that you found transformationally helpful? For example, men's groups, right? Cause you mentioned talk therapy and I'm imagining that that was helpful and also not the whole, um, the whole thing, right? There were other yeah. things that really really affected you and helped you on your path. Can you just take us through a few of those highlights that, that affected you? Yeah. Well, I mean, this change is happening in real time. It's, it's not, I'm not done. I don't have a finish line mentality. And so even over the last year, I've, I've, you know, I, I see development as a spiral. And so it's things that tend to activate me. I'm like, well, why the hell does that continue to activate me? And I'm curious about that and going deeper. And so presently I'm working with IFS, which I found really helpful. Uh, Dick Schwartz, Richard Schwartz. Um, That's internal family systems for people. Correct. Yeah. I, and I just jive with it. If I've always jived with it, it tends to be something I can relate to in my meditation. I'm aware of these different parts showing up and having different commitments and desires. And so that system works really, really well for me. And even though I've got, a really good lay of the land from all the things that, that I've been working on over the years, this system has really helped me start to build a better network of trust and communication within. And so, uh, but anyway, to, to come back to your question, what are the, some of the things that I've done? I definitely went the route of let's go to 30,000 feet and just not feel anything. So that was a lot of meditation, a lot of Buddhism, a lot of, um, uh, I got really into integral theory. Ken Wilbur is just like, maybe if I can understand the map and how all the pieces fit together, I don't have to actually feel anything. And then that translated over into like David data's work for a while, way the superior man, I got into men's groups. And that was a lot of like, let's all go out in the jungle and get naked and beat on drums and rub mud all over ourselves and feel this shit really big. And it's intense and, you know, really have the experience and get pissed off at our dads and all that stuff. And then, um, you know, being in men's groups, kind of coming back into integrating that into the world. And, and uh, I, I found that to be tremendously helpful, especially early on. And that really forged the path for me to become a coach. It's how I found my way as a coach doing that work. Um, but also I'm just a really creative person. I come from an art background. And so I, I always see this work, not so much as growth, but as creation. What am I here to create? What am I, what's here, what's here trying to live through me and as me, I want to listen. I want to understand that and see if I can get out of my own way. And so our business is an aspect of that. Our relationships are an aspect of that, how we parent all these things. And so I don't really have that striver achiever mindset so much as that creative mindset. And so those, those tools tend to come along and, and uh, resonate more for me. Yeah. I like what you said there about what wants to come through me, what wants to be created through me. I think that's a pretty, honestly, I think it's a pretty advanced way of looking at things because I think the way that our culture does it, it's sort of 
it encourages us to do the strive and achieve and control mindset. And that's very different from listening for what wants to happen, what wants to happen here, what wants to be created through me. It's just a different way of looking at the world. And it feels more in sync with nature, in sync with life. And it, and what I've witnessed is that it takes a while to get there in terms of clearing out a bunch of crap in order to get to that place. Right. So, yeah. And, um, and just in terms of, you know, you've worked with hundreds, maybe thousands of men by this point. Have you noticed, I'm just curious, I don't know if you can answer this, but have you noticed any patterns about how other men have gotten on that path of awareness? For sure. You know, a lot of the guys that I've worked with have already created some level of success for themselves in their lives. Um, and it's not quite what they thought it was going to be. It wasn't the escape having the castle or having even, even a moderate level of success, just being able to take care of their family and whatever. There was this idea that, and I talk about this in my book, which is if I can just get really good at being comfortable if I can just get really good at creating some certainty and control in my life, if I can just get really good at getting people to like me and accept me and put on this, play this role in life, then I'm set. That's essentially the bar that most of us are striving to meet. And then a lot of us get there. We have a lot of stuff. We live a very comfortable life. We're able to have a certain amount of certainty financially, um, even if we're not absolutely loaded, we can pay our bills and, and there's that level of things. Very fortunate to be able to be there. And then also we're, we're loved and accepted by the people around us. And so there's essentially like, huh, why don't I feel fulfilled? Why don't I feel alive? Why do I feel like I don't think I can do this another five, 10, 20, 30 years? So there's a real, uh-oh. And I think this is where some of us bump into the midlife crisis type thing, but there's essentially it's like, I thought that was it. I thought that was the game. I was told, get good grades, get into the school, get the job or blah, blah, blah. Just follow, jump through the hoops and then you'll be set. But I don't feel that way. And so I think some of us have to go through that process. And, you know, you can hear somebody say, man, you know, it's not the answer. Having X, Y, Z is not the answer. He's like, well, let me find out on my own. I want to, you know, let me go have a lot of sex or let me go have a lot of money before I know that it, that maybe isn't the right answer. So they, they arrive at that place. And then there's a curiosity. Like, well, what else is there? What, 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 what's really going on? And that may even happen in the course of our work together, where one of the things they're wanting to create is ABC in their business. And as we're doing it, they start to realize maybe that's not what it's really about. I, I really just want to have more meaning. I just want to feel more connection with people. And so it's great. Well, you can still have these awesome financial goals or whatever it is you're trying to create. And we can use that to not just impact you or your family, but then we can also live in such a way so that you're not waiting to do the things that have you feel more alive or more connected to the people that you love. Yeah. So it sounds like part of what you're saying is a nagging sense of something missing. Yeah. In life, right. A nagging sense. Like, I feel like I should be happier than I am. I feel like I should be more fulfilled. I've, I've met the bars that I had for myself. I'm here now. And yet I don't feel fully alive. I don't feel excited to get up. And I'm looking at, I'm looking down the road at the next 20 to 30 years. And I'm not excited about that. And, and it so, challenges us to, to look at that opportunity because some, the striver, the high achiever will be like, well, I just need to do more. I just need more ABC. I need more recognition. I need more money. I need blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so that can happen. Or it could be, I need to go deeper. 
I need to go deeper within. So one can be, I'm going to run away from this feeling or I'm going to turn into it. And that's a, that's a big choice point there. And a lot of us, it doesn't occur to us that we can turn into it and get curious about it. It's just like, okay, I must not be doing it right. I must not have enough. So if I'm still feeling this way, I must need more. And that's the point at which men come to you. It sounds like that there's that a lot of your clients have come to you when it's like, well, I'm here and I figure I'm, I must want more. So I'm going to hire you to help me get more. Is that, is that true? Or it can be, I, we'll be in conversation. I'll be like, I know you didn't hire me to just help you do more. So what do we really, do? if you really just wanted more, you go hire one of those other performance coaches that'll just grind you into the ground. Cause they don't give a shit about you. They just want to help you do more. They're on the same more path. So <laughs> you would have just hired one of those people, but there's something in you that said, I'm hiring trip for a reason. And it was more about this deeper alignment, this deeper awakening. And I think the fear is that if, if I do this deeper alignment, this deeper awakening, I'm going to screw up everything I care about. I'm going to blow up my career. I'm going to blow up my relationship. My, my, my community is going to think I'm a freaking weirdo. That was all true for me when I left my first business and moved on to this next life. So that's the thing is like, okay, how do I do this? How do I create? I'm, I'm starting to wake up to this sense of who I really am. But now this is jeopardizing everything I'd care about. Mm, and do you find that that's true for some clients that it does jeopardize? For sure. A lot of them are in relationships where, yeah, they, their partner, they may have felt more aligned early on in their relationship, but now their partner is plenty happy to drink a bottle of wine every night and just watch Netflix. And this guy wants to do ABC with his life. And they're just not in the same place. They can't solve problems. They can't look at each other and, and feel like we're really partners in this or allies in this anymore. So hmm, that's a challenge, right? Or that the work that they're doing is out of alignment with their values that what they're doing, maybe, maybe they're in some kind of a, uh, you know, an industry that maybe isn't putting people first or those types of things. So it's predatory in some way, and they just can't align with that. But nonetheless, they really like having the house. They got college bills to look at looking at their way. So it's a lot of things that are like, ah, I don't want to play this role in order to maintain this comfort and this certainty and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, brave. It, it it feels brave to actually be willing to look at what's really going on and get into alignment in certain places because there is real risk, right? There is real risk. There, there is a possibility that you might not be with that partner after that. There is a possibility that you might not be at that job after that and, and things are going to have to get figured out. And so for a lot of people, it is a lot easier to numb, right? It's a lot easier to just... Well, look around. How many of their friends are dead in their relationships are having lousy sex lives that, you know, don't connect with their lovers that they hate their jobs and they're all just self-medicating and just kind of Trump, you know, just chugging along and doing whatever. So that's the norm. And if we tend to be herd animals, we tend to look around like, well, this is whatever, everybody else is just, this is just it. So yeah, the rare few folks that are like, I don't know if this is it for me though. Those are the ones that, that uh, I tend to work with. And, and isn't that fascinating who those ones are? Right. Why are some people, why do some people have that drive or that sense, that feeling, that, that desire to be more or grow and other people don't as much? I find that fascinating. And I don't know if you have any insight into what, what do you think that's about? I think it's honestly, I think that we dick around and this is a technical term. I think we dick around to the degree that our system allows us to. Mm. 
So we will stay unconscious as long as we're allowed to. And then at some point it becomes too painful. And then we're just not willing to do it. So I don't really have a, I don't have a belief that everybody should change or everybody should be on a growth path. I, I don't have that belief, but if you're suffering, if you're really not happy with what's going on, then how could you cr- take on a creator mindset? How could you take full responsibility for that and say, I want to make a change. Let's explore what's possible that I want to encourage, mm-hmm. but the, Oh, well, nothing I can do. I'm a victim. I'm powerless here. Uh, I, I want to push back against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I would say a lot of our clients come to us after a breakup during or after a breakup or in, in a marriage that is starting to be unbearable where either it's a sexless marriage or intimacy less. So maybe there's sex, but there's not that closeness, that sense of closeness and intimacy and living with that person and dealing with that person daily is painful. And so there gets to be, like you said, I think a threshold of pain where it's like, I really want something to be different, right? I don't know how to do this. I don't know what this is going to look like, but man, this is painful. I got to figure something out. And that's a driver towards, <laughs> towards growth, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And there, there are, there are these turning points. I think there are events, whether it's affairs, the partner has an affair, they have an affair something. There's something in there where there's almost a wisdom to it. It's like, we've got to blow this up. Yeah. This isn't tolerable. So that, that's another way that the system is, is going to fall apart. And it ends up, it feels awful at the time, whether it's the loss of a job or an illness or whatever. But if you look back two, three, five, 10 years from then, they'll be like, that was the biggest gift of my life. Cause had that not come along, I would have just stayed on that path. And that's essentially what I was meaning is like, we're allowed to dick around if the system tolerates it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as there's a wall, nope. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I got to do something about it. And those people are highly motivated. They're really fun to coach because they're ready to do the work. Definitely. Yeah. So you've coached lots of men through this process. And I'm curious, you know, one of the things that we're talking about today is fatherhood. And there are these big turning points in our lives, some of which are planned, some of which are unplanned, right? Okay. I'm quitting my job. I I know I'm quitting my job. It's a huge change and all these things are going to have it. Or I got fired from my job, which is similar, but not the same. I wasn't expecting that. And now I got to figure something out or I'm, I'm leaving my partner or my partner's leaving me, right? There's, there's big changes and fatherhood is an interesting one because I mean, it's, it's, it's planned to a certain extent, depending on your circumstances and there's time to prepare. And it's also a surprise. (laughs) There's a way that it's surprising. And I'm wondering, you know, I don't think it's really possible to become a parent and not have it change you in some way. But I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to your experience of how fatherhood has changed you thus far. Cause I would imagine it, it's, it keeps going right. As it the keeps child going. Grows and develops and, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. How, how has fatherhood changed you? How much time do we have? <laughs> um, how's child? Well, I would say that, gosh, And if you can think back to when it was just happening, right? So from before the child arrived, 
how that process was. And then when, when she arrived, my daughter's 12 here. So for a little context, um, I think the first thing that I learned was just how much time I had that I didn't think I had before. <laughs> when I was like, Oh, I don't have any time to do ABC. And then the, she arrives and it's like, wow, I had so much time in free space. And now that's gone. Um, and I think that there's an aspect of, it was really challenging that the, there's a biological primitive drive to drop everything and do what needs to be done for baby and family. And this is one of the killers, if we want to come back to this, well, this is one of the killers of why so many fathers have really lousy communities and friendships is because they essentially get eclipsed by family. If in their world, XYZ doesn't have anything to do with family or work, then they don't do it. And so that's one of the reasons why they tend to suffer and feel like something's missing is they're, well, they're missing this huge piece of nutrition, which comes from having community. They're isolated. They're, They're very, very, very isolated. Yeah. Right. A lot of minds like but in that. their mind, I'm being a good dad. There's a nobility to that. It doesn't even occur to them as sacrifice. This is just what I do. Weekend comes along. I'm with the family. So the idea of doing something for myself seems like the biggest asshole in the world. Like I'm hurting my family. If I actually go do something for myself, I go on a surf trip. Like how could I possibly do that? I'm robbing my family of my presence and they'll die, you know, in the woods without me. Right. So um, another impact is just emotionally being with a lot of emotion in the house from a, a baby. There's a lot of emotion. So if, if whatever I can't be with emotionally, I'm going to try and shut that down in my child at whatever stage of development that they're in. So this has been true all along the way. And I recognized where I was shut down by my family system early on. And I've had to work with that all along the way where the, the impetus, like what's ingrained in me is shut it down. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear your sadness. I don't want to hear your, 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 whatever the thing is that you're dealing with or you're feeling right now. I can't be with that and myself. So it's not allowed here. And I would say that that's been a big part and it continues to, I mean, you think about what IFS, what we were talking about earlier is we're essentially going back and reintegrating those parts. So, um, but that, that, that's always been there. And I would say that's been the biggest point of a lot of the, the things that I've had to deal with is wanting to put a lid on a lot of emotional stuff. Even though I've done a ton of work here, I just see it's normal out in the world. Don't cry. You're okay. All of these other things, which is don't have your emotional experience because I don't want to feel it. Um, that is a norm in so many families, but it's not the norm in ours. Now, it doesn't mean that we've got a tyrant or that there's this wallowing, but you're allowed, if you're sad, you're allowed to be sad. And usually it passes really quickly. Or if you're angry, you're allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to be an aggressive. You're not allowed to lash out and hurt me, but you are allowed to be angry. So there's, there's all of these things. And I, and finding those places has expanded me a lot and how allowed me to be more of who I am fully with others. So when I'm working with somebody else, I've got a lot more space to be with those things as they come up. Um, I'll just pause there and, and give it back to you. See if you have any other. Yeah. I'm curious. It feels responsible what you're describing. It feels like the awareness, because I think in a lot of family systems, right. The, 
the father's not aware <laughs> that he's doing that. He's not aware that he's uncomfortable with his own grief or sadness, and therefore he's shutting it down in the child. It's it's an unconscious response. It's there's no there's no space or thinking. It's just shut it down. There's not. Hey, why do I want to shut that down? <laughs> so there's. It sounds like for you there was a lot of consciousness and awareness around. Ooh. I'm feeling a lot. I kind of want to shut that down. That means there's something for me to look at, right? That space, that awareness, that consciousness, that moment, that took a lot. I, I would imagine that took a lot to get there. Well, that- it comes from 12, 13 years of shutting it down it, just <laughs> after, after the first stage, but then also just having it shut down up until then. So it was spending a lot of my life on understanding how that nearly destroyed me. Yeah. Like wanting to take my own life in the moment of those, of the grief period. Like just what do I have to do to get this to stop? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is because I'm unwilling to feel this shit. So having that relationship to it, it's like, huh, <laughs> I don't want to perpetuate this. Now, to be clear, I don't have any problem when I, when I think about how my father was raised and how he chose to raise me, he's light years ahead of his father. The growth that my father showed in raising me is exponential to what he was shown. So I see this as a path and my daughter will be, have a conversation in a couple of decades about places where I maybe lacked and and could have grown some more. But I think that this is, there's this almost vertical learning curve in parenting right now, where it's a luxury to have this conversation. It's a luxury to be in this place. You think about places in the world right now where survival is all they can think about all they can handle to be able to be like, you know, my dad doesn't give me enough time to, to have my emotions is a luxury. It's a wonderful place to be. And we're in it. We're in it. We're, we're able to have that. And so I don't have a bone to pick with my father, my grandfather, the guys before, cause I see them all growing. Mm. I see them all growing and I see this as generational growing. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if it was stuck, and I did, I, I could not see that development. Then I'd be a little more suspect, but even then it's like, how would you know? How would you know? There was nothing in those times mm-hmm. that there were no parenting books for dads. There was no, there was no examples. There was nothing in there. They were all figuring it out. And to the, to a large degree, even when you have a kid, there's no manual for your kid. When I listen to a father talk about their child and their challenges, there's a part of me. It's like, I had no idea how to deal with that. I would not know how to deal with that kid. You have to just get curious about that kid. Hmm. How would we work with this kid? There's a manual for that specific kid. Instead yeah. of, oh, I know I would never let my kid blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm, shut up. You would not. <laughs> a kid would eat you alive. <laughs> well, you know, that point that you made about you being willing to go being around a lot of emotion in the house and noticing what that brings up in you and then working those places. I'm wondering if you can slow that down a little bit. Like, do you mean that you would then talk about whatever was going on with your men's group or with, with someone else and sort of like, you know, I notice when she's throwing a tantrum, part of me wants to be just like, be quiet. I don't want to deal with this. And then that helps. And you feel your feelings around that. I mean, can you slow that part down a little bit? Like, what did that actually look like? Especially in the, in the young, when she was quite young and doing right. the infant tantrum. Yeah. That's a tough phase. I mean, things are loud. You're not sleeping very much. And so the, you're not really resourced during that time anyway. But um, I would say that 
it's, I feel so fortunate to have my wife, Allison, in this process. We're both aware of this. So one of us tends to always play the center, to play the pole. And so if it, one of us was getting rattled, it's like, hey, I got this. So go take a break. And that's really helpful because I know in other partnerships where if one starts, one person starts to lose it, the other person loses it too. And then everybody's in the ditch. And so I think it's, incre- I think it's really important to be like, look, we're a team, we're allies. We're not always going to be perfect. So, Hey, we're here to help each other out. And if you need a break, I'll, I'll muscle up and, and hold this. And then you'll hold it for me when I need it. Um, but yeah, it could be the things that activate my wife will be different th- than what necessarily activates me. Um, for me, it was more around aggression, dominance, having a three-year-old tell me what I can do with my day or what we're not doing. Even in a, it's just like, no, I'm six, one, two, 10. I will fuck you up. You're, (laughs) you're under four feet tall and 40 pounds. And you do not get to tell me what to do. Just this really primitive thing of like, do you realize what I could do to you? And they still win. (laughs) It's crushing. Um, the, the impetus is just like, no, my way, shut up. This is it. Big gorilla gets his way. I mean, it's a power struggle. You get to two to three to four and it is, it's a power struggle. Everyone I know that's parenting that age, it's like, it's a power struggle all the time. And you got to figure out how you're going to deal with that. And it, most of the people I know are like, <clears throat> I'm not sure I'm doing this right. I'm not, sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I know what I'm doing here. Well, for us, it was really nuanced because I knew that as a parent, what was probably going to be most dangerous to her in her lifetime was going to be another male. And I did not want her to be intimidated by a big man. And so I didn't want to shut that down. I wanted her to know that she could always say no. And I wanted no to be in her vocabulary and that no meant no. And so when she said no to me, there had to be times where I was like, great, that's awesome. You're saying no and pick up your stuff and it needs to go into the room. Like, so there, there was this even though it was just wanting to be like, no big bad bear comes in and does it. It was, it was, no, you get to say no. And that's freaking awesome that you're saying no and you're standing up and daddy's really firm right now that you're going to, you need to take care of this. So there was a lot of figuring it out on the spot of these moments shape who she's becoming and her ability to know that she can always say no and set a boundary with people, especially men, especially big men. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important. And there's, there's a lot of, it's an energetic, right? It's not about the words you're saying. It's about how you're saying it and, and holding that. I see you. I see your no, I'm listening and we're going to pick up our toys. It's important to clean up after we make a mess. So right. there, there's a, there's an, and instead of no, we're going to pick up our toys after we make a mess. Right. And this is all ideal. Cause it's tough. It's really tough to do that stuff. It's really, Especially, really tough. Like you said, when you're sleep deprived. So I, I really appreciated that, you know, mentioning the, the switching off and the parenting and teamwork, because I've, I've noticed, um, yeah, there's just, there's, you have a lot more backup when you have a solid teammate at your side during that phase, really for the whole experience. But that moment you mentioned, I've had other Um, friends of mine say something like, yeah, my partner can figure, my partner knows when I'm at the end of my rope and they come over and they take the child. They were attuned enough that it's like, I can feel that she's going to lose it. Right. It's a, it's a a critical, like the engine lights are flashing. I got to go get the kid because that person needs a break. And there's something 
there's something sacred about that. And to your point, not everyone is privileged enough to have that in the house, right? A lot of people are raising kids on their own or a a parent is providing. So they're out of the house a lot and it does make it a lot more challenging. And the way that we raise children in the West is pretty isolated. There isn't a grandparent around. There isn't an aunt or an uncle. There isn't a family system in many people's homes to help because the way we used to raise kids was in community and there were just more adults around. There were more adults and there were more older kids like, Hey, I'm going to the store. Do you want to come? Okay. Now that parent got an hour and a half break that, and, and they're with someone safe and it's, you know, it's a safe, safe zone. It's not there's not going to be something bad that's going to happen. And just that 90 minute break can be enough of a reset. But when there's no one else around, just that constant, constant caregiving without even being able to take a shower, for example, can be really exhausting. So I do think that that's a great point about having a teammate, really having a solid teammate there. And um, I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to, did that bring you and your wife closer in terms of being a team, because now there's, there's a lot of stakes having a child. Yeah. I think this comes back to a larger question about why we are with our partner to begin with. And this is one of the things that when I am working with folks, it helps us suss out, well, am I with, you know, what am I doing? Why, why do I choose this person? Cause it wasn't that you chose them however many years ago when you got married, it was, you choose them every day. There's a reason why you don't pack a bag and fly to Hawaii every morning. So, or the next morning. So the, so the idea is, I think there's a, it's, it's recognizing the purpose of the relationship and every relationship has a purpose. And for most of us, and sadly, we just want somebody around. So we feel comfortable. We just want somebody around so that we feel safe. We just want somebody around so that we feel accepted. And that's kind of it. Like that's the bar. We don't really have much of a rich interior life with that person. It's just help me feel comfortable. Help me have a bit of certainty and in, in routine in my life and make sure that nobody looks at me like I'm, I'm washed up and terrible because somebody wants me see at least one person wants me. There's just so much of that in, in what qualifies for relating. Whereas, Hey, do, is this person an ally in this lifetime where we support one another to live with more freedom, aliveness, love, and peace? How can we support one another in that emerging part of them that's, that's, that's coming through them and living as them in this lifetime. How could, is that what we're here to do? And when we start from that place, it's a lot easier when we're going through the shit together to be like, Oh, I remember, remember why we're here versus I never really liked you that much. Anyway, we had sex a few times and we, I kind of liked the brunch thing on Sunday and you know, it just kind of dated for a few years. And then there we were, we got married because that's what you do, right? This unconscious path. So I think it's really important. And I think that couples that have been together for a while can come and have this conversation and say, okay, what's version 2.0? What are we really here to do? How are we really here to support? And then would we want to have a child on top of that? How how could we do this uh, with a child? And even if parents are divorced, they can still come together in that way and say, look, let's find this common ground and parent from this place. What, what are these core principles that we want to instill in our child or our children? And then how can we be partners through that? But most of the time it's simply, I'm only in it for me. I don't really care what happens for you. Just don't do anything to make me uncomfortable. Don't do anything to make me feel unsafe and don't do anything to make me feel like I'm not wanted. And that's essentially 
what a lot of folks are tolerating, as I said. Yeah. And it's, I think also men in our culture are so isolated and so lonely that for a lot of them, that primary relationship is one of the only places they get anything like companionship. And so the idea of losing it is extra terrifying. And, and, and I know for some of our clients, there's a lot of guilt associated with it, right? What's she, what's going to happen to her if I leave? I don't know, but it feels a little scary. And I'm wondering, you know, in your, in your work with, with men, you've seen the whole gamut I'm imagining, right? There are certain partnerships where dissolution, the dissolution of the partnership is the best thing for both people that, that, Mm -hmm. and that sort of becomes obvious. And I'm curious, you know, in your experience, what has been the most challenging thing for the men in those situations as they're leaving that you've witnessed? I think most of the guys that really struggle with that are their, their big thing is being the bad guy. Just don't want to be the bad guy. I will suffer for years, but I do not want to be, I do not want to hurt her, Mm -hmm. which totally makes sense. But I think if we take that a little bit deeper, most often is, I don't want to feel guilty. Mm -hmm. So it sounds noble on the first cut, which is cool, but really it's, I don't want to live my life feeling guilty. I don't want to be the bad guy and feel that way that, and look at myself in the mirror and I'm the bad guy. And how do you coach men through that? Cause this is definitely up for one of, I can think of someone in my life right now who this is very much up for. And it's, it's a seductive thought, right? It feels because there's a way that if I'm not the bad guy, I'm the good guy, right? So it's, it's seductive because it's like, oh, I'm being the good guy by essentially flagellating myself, right? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to suffer. Like you said, I'm just going to tolerate this life that I hate or this part of this life that I hate to be the good guy. How do you, how do you work with guys on that? Well, the first part is to get them out of drama triangle. So to stop seeing their partner as powerless or a victim and that their role in in their partner's life is to save them and rescue them. So there's an element here, which is what if your partner can create her own life and she can be responsible and she's powerful, right? In fact, how about this? Why don't you go to her and tell her that you see her as powerless, that you see her as weak and see how she responds. She's (laughs) She's she's going to love that. She's just going to love it. She's going to love it. She's going to love hearing how you perceive her as so fragile and weak and utterly powerless without you. Let's just try that on. Do me a favor. Will you go home and tell her that today and let her know just how (laughs) wimpy she is? Let's see how that works. So it's important to get out of that mindset and start to recognize, okay, I can, I can be here to support her and challenge her, but I don't have to be the villain or the rescuer. Okay. So that's good. Cause a lot of guys like being like putting on their cape and showing up and fixing the tire or whatever in her life. And that's their kind of their identity. You know, who would she be without me? She needs me. And then the second part is I, I, I think it's important when we start to think about integrity, it's, it's, am I treating people the way I would want to be treated? And so I say, well, imagine her having this conversation with somebody else where she's like, I can't leave my husband. I have to stay here for him because, you know, poor him. I don't really love him. I don't really want to be with him, but 
you know, I have to stay here because otherwise he'd be just an absolute mess and I'd be the biggest bitch. Would you want her to stay? And immediately it's like, no, like it's insulting. It's like, no, I don't want to be with somebody like that. And I hear guys tell me, it's like, I've had several guys tell me, it's like, yeah, my wife has sex with me once a week, so I won't go screw somebody else. They don't have sex with me because they want me. They uh. desire me. They have sex with me so I don't go cheat. That's like, painful. It's like taking the dog to the dog park. All right, go run. Get it out. So it's, again, it's like, what are we doing here? Is this really what you want? Is this the dynamic you want? And you get to choose. I mean, it might not, it might be better than whatever you think the alternative could be. But I think that having that integrity of just like, if things were flipped and she, t- and I her- overheard her saying this to her coach or somebody else, how would I feel about it? What I'd probably walk in and be like, look, this isn't working. Let's figure out another way. I mm-hmm. don't want to, I'm not here to be your helpless babe in the woods. And speaking of fatherhood and parenthood, do you, I've definitely had some clients feel like they should stay for the kids, right? That, oh, we have children, therefore we should keep this depressing dynamic alive. Yeah, let's <laughs> teach our kids how to be just soulless. Yeah. Uninspired. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some really great dynamics between the foes, just like sniping each other and, you know, cold. Yeah. Let's teach our kids. Let's ingrain this in them. Cause they don't, they don't listen to what we say. They watch what we do. Right. Yeah. I don't have sex with my partner. I have sex with my secretary or I have sex, you know, it's just all, they're going to, they're picking up on all of it. And so when you're coaching guys, I'm curious, do you, have you heard, I'm imagining that you've had clients who've said something like that to you too, of, well, we have kids, so I've got to make sure I, I'm providing a stable home or, and, you know, do you push back with them or do you, do you tell them, you know, this well, is. Again, it's their choice. What, what I want to help them do is just watch where they're making excuses. Anytime I was like, don't, let's not put the burden on your kids. Let's not make it their fault that you're not happy because you could actually be really happy and it would be of service to them. Mm-hmm. If we think about what's in the highest good for your kids, is it being around a, a miserable kind of soulless dad, or is it being with somebody who really engages their life and lives and loves and has an open heart? Which one? Let's pick one. Yeah. And I think that if I can help them access that, then we can start to see just like, I'm afraid. And it's like, yeah, yeah. got it. It's okay to be afraid. It's totally okay to be afraid, but let's not put the burden on them. And so we can make agreements. How can you provide a good stable home? How can you provide, how can you be this stable force in their lives without having to also saddle this relationship that doesn't serve either of you anymore? Yes. And I I like that getting to the actual heart of, oh, underneath all that other stuff, I'm afraid that's really what's going on down there in the well of truth. And now we're looking at what's actually happening. And so deep change can happen there because it's not the surface level stuff. And um, I'm, I'm curious too, if I would imagine that at this point you have men that are on the other side of that, right. That have actually gone through divorce or whatever the, the, the dissolution of the relationship is, do you ever point your clients to, Hey, maybe you should talk to this, this guy. <laughs> I think it helps to have those stories. I can't ever pretend to know what's going to happen for my guy, mm-hmm. but I think for them, it is about helping them get in touch with how they want to live. Even if, even if they only have six more months, 
Mm-hmm. Um, in their mind, it's like something's going to come along. She's going to get sick of me and how I'm dealing with things. And she's going to be the one to get it or whatever. There's this weird magical thinking that happens. It's, it's, it's all part of the victimhood. So um, I can tell stories. I can't guarantee anything, but you don't get to control how your partner responds to things. They may choose to live in this victimhood their entire lives. And they will villainize you and you'll never be understood. You'll never have her come to you and say that was, even though that was really tough, thank you. That was the toughest thing I ever had to go through, but you, that opened the door to have a rich life that I get to have now. And so they'll make it about the money. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to write the element check. I want to do this, blah, 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 blah. And I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. But really it's just getting down to, like you said, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of being seen as the bad guy. I'm afraid of being the bad guy. I'm afraid of all of that. And that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty deep. Cause like you said, a lot of it goes to identity. So in, in terms of fatherhood and the men that you've seen, because you've been coaching for a long enough time that some of your guys have become a lot of your guys have become fathers, right. While you've been coaching them, mm-hmm. what have you seen in terms of them and their, their growth or their transformation? Like how has fatherhood changed them? And I know that's a big, broad question, but what are some patterns that you've seen? I think that that something arrives for a lot of men when we become fathers. It was true for me. I remember leaving the area where in the hospital where my daughter was born. And as we were walking to a different part of the hospital, these doors open up, they play happy birthday. And I remember um, walking through there and you know, Allison's holding our daughter in the, in a wheelchair. And I remember just this flooded with this feeling of like, I would die right now for both of them. And so I don't know if it's like a warrior. I don't know what it was, but it just poured through me. Every soul, every, every part of my cell, you know, every cell in my body just was like, I would totally die for them right now. And I don't think that a lot of young men up until that point may have ever experienced something like that where I am galvanized. I'm really clear what I'm here to do. And if you think about it on that primitive level, why we're full of testosterone, why we've got all these things, it is to do that. We are wired to, it's the one thing we're wired to do. It's not to have a startup. It's not to have six pack abs. It's to do this, to start a family. That's what we're wired to do. And then everything else is just on top of that. And so um, I think having that ground and it connects us to something much larger than ourselves. And it's, to me, it's like accessing another few floors in the building. It's just like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know this was here. And I think that can happen if we open ourselves to it because it, it will obliterate who we think we are. And then we get to put those pieces back together again. But if I, if I only have room for me to be the star of the show, this can be really hard. But if I have space for others to be in the, in the story, then it, it can be a really beautiful experience to go through. But I, I, that's what I see is that expansion of identity. Who am I really? Who am I really? Oh, I thought this stuff was important. It's not that important. This is much more important. Mm. I wouldn't give my life for that stuff. I'd give my life for this. I know, I know what it means now to give my, uh, to feel that in my bones. Mm. And have you seen, have you witnessed that you know, change the men that you've worked with? Like, have you seen, wow, this guy got a lot more grounded or this guy, like that it felt different to be around him or what, what have you witnessed in those men that have become fathers? 
I think it can go either way, right? So to the degree that that person or that man has evolved himself, it can either push him further into his darkness and his shadow, right? If he doesn't have a lot of space for this stuff, it, it might just overwhelm him and he goes even further in that direction and he's gone, right? If he's going to drink, he's going to drink some more. If he's going to lose himself in work, he's going to lose himself in work some more. So if he's unconscious to that, it can push, it can, you know, speed that up. If there are difficulties, if there were difficulties in the relationship that he has with his wife, certainly that's going to show up because now you're really going to be challenged. It's not just this barter system for sex and, you know, having fun. And it's now we've got a job to do. And it's like, wow, I didn't really like you beforehand. Um, and now we couldn't really solve problems before, but now we have to really work together. I don't like that. So it's going to, it's, it's going to challenge every aspect of things. So if you haven't done that work, then it's going to, it's going to stress those areas, but then who knows, you know, maybe that's the place where if you choose to do the work, you come out the other side and you get to expand folks that are unwilling to take a look at their mental health, their emotional health, their relational health. If there are stigmas attached to that, I shouldn't need to do this. My father, my, my friends don't do this. My parents didn't do this. They're okay. Your options are limited. You've only got one flap on the menu. But if you're willing to look at stuff, if you're willing to go through and say, Hey, there is another way. We don't have to suffer this much. I'd pay a freaking plumber to come home to come, come, come to my house. If the toilet's stuffed up, why wouldn't I pay a professional to help us navigate X, Y, Z. Right. So I think that's the, the biggest challenge that I see folks getting through is that it doesn't even occur to them that they can be helped. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It's like, if you don't have faith that it's going to work in the first place, then why would you, why would you hire help? Versus, or it's even available. Or it's even available. Yeah. There's actually people that can help, help us with this and, yeah. and it'll be better after. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. If your culture is just numb yourself and bitch and complain, then that's all, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in terms of, you know, your own journey, I'm always curious about this for parents. I think it would be odd to be fully confident. I'm going to be a great parent. I'm always going to have it together. How did you deal with the insecurities around shit? Am I going to do it right? Is it going to be enough? You know, how did you handle that? Because I, I think that's a pretty normal part of becoming a parent. I think it's funny you put that in the past tense. My daughter's 12 and sprouting into a young woman. And it's, it's going to be an interesting ride these next few years. So I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're nowhere near out of the woods. I think that. I don't, I don't know the whole, like, we'll have it handled thing, but I, I, I think what gives me confidence is knowing that we can get help, that we're not alone. So that brings peace of mind. I think that if we had to feel like we had it all together, that would be terrible. The, um, early on, my wife and I always just had a, just had an agreement. Anytime things started to feel like the wheels were coming off, we just got help. Like it just wasn't going to be, should we, or shouldn't we just, let's get it. Let's just, let's just get help. And then right then, usually the whole system goes, ah, bat signals going up. We'll get help. Cool. Now we get more creative and, and deal with things. So knowing that we can get help and knowing that we can resource ourselves calms that down. 
And then it's just a matter of, okay, what's next? Because the thing about having a kid is once you start to get a handle on whatever phase they're on or they're in, it just starts to, it's like, whoa, what the hell is this? Where'd you learn that? What, what did you just say? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true because, because child development is so fluid and it, and, and it actually is quite fast, even though it takes years, it can feel really fast and each phase is different. So it's, it's, it's a moving target. And I'm curious when you said, you know, you talked about getting help is that let's have the grandparents over for a few weeks. Is that let's get some counseling for the two of us in our relationship. Let's get a babysitter. Is it all of the above? Like, what did you mean when you said Anything and everything, right? It's, it, it, the point being is that if it's all up to us and we're isolated and we can't talk about it, because there's a lot of this is there's there is a lot of this cultural thing of what will others think of us if we're not good parents. You wanna if you if you want to blow up a building, you don't need dynamite. Just tell a mother that she's not a good mother, <laughs> and that building is coming down. <laughs> Do anything to have her feel insecure about her mothering, that place is going to be leveled. Okay. So what threatens that getting help? It's a validation. It's an affirmation. Maybe I need, maybe I'm not doing such a good job and I need help. And if so, that's a sacred, sacred place. I do not want to see myself as somebody who may not be doing a great job because I love my kids so much. So getting, navigating that minefield and saying what's best for all of us Okay, well, let's just get out of the way. If I'm getting help, it doesn't mean I'm doing a bad job. It means I want to make sure I don't get to the place where I'm doing a bad job. That's a really important reframe, right? Getting help doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It means that you're doing a good job, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's literally what that means because it means that you're, yeah, you're heading off problems before you get there. And I was just talking to a couple about this in terms of, Yellow light. Have you heard about this? Red light, yellow light, green light. Yellow light is okay. We're having a conversation and it could get really intense and we could say some things that we really regret and it could be really bad. So either one of us can always say yellow light, which means we need to slow down. We need to slow down right now. Check and see if maybe one of us needs a snack or go for a walk or something, but let's stop before we get to the cliff instead of going over the cliff and then having to heal from the broken bones we got falling over the cliff. It's a little bit like that, right? Let's get the help before something really bad happens because we're, we're not helpless. We don't have to go over the cliff. We have some choice here and we could slow things down. It feels like similar to that of like, oh, there's a direction. Let's maybe adjust, adjust the direction of the boat before we sail over into that cliff. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. But again, if I want to live my life in my own little drama and I'm the, the star of that show, then everything else is kind of a threat. Mm. Everything else is, is, is a bit of a threat to that narrative of I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I'm the smart one. Everybody's against me or they're the ones that are wrong. A lot of folks living in that, that bubble. And so they quickly turn against their partners. They don't see their partners as allies. They see anything as a threat to that story. And if they're committed to that story of the small self, and yeah, it's really tough. It's really, really tough. And people suffer. We all suffer when, when we're that committed to that, which, and you know, the antidote to that is getting over ourselves, but it's really just having a sense of humor. Oh, there I go. I'm back to being center of the universe again. 
Like, I don't have to beat myself up against. It's like, that's what I do. I'm unconscious. I'm just center of the universe and I don't need help and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, okay, I'm doing that thing. And I know I'm doing that thing and it can, I can laugh at it. Yeah. <sighs> now, what do I want to do if I don't have to take myself so seriously? Oh, I'll get help. That's a good one. I like that it, because it's not shaming. It's not, oh God, I'm doing the thing again. I'm such a bad fill in the blank versus like, oh, I'm doing that thing again. All right. Maybe I could do something else. And that could be cool. Um, yeah. So as we're wrapping up here, there was one more thing I was um, curious about in terms of fatherhood. And that is, um, you know, we have, we, we get a lot of clients that are already dads. They have children. Some Sometimes they're grown children. Sometimes they're young children, you know, teenagers, What do you do if you feel like you're looking back and you're like, man, I really fucked some shit up. I wasn't working on myself. I think I passed on some bad habits. I, you know, how do you work with men who, who are dads who are now reflecting from a more conscious position currently and saying, shit, I think I, I think I did some stuff that wasn't great. How do you help men with that? Yeah. Sense it's a different form of guilt or regret, but, but how do you work with that? Well, I think it, it, this is a very nuanced uh, thing. You know, it depends on what that is. And a lot of times this can be rooted, let's just say on the shallow end of this question is, I just want validation that I'm a good dad. I just want to know I'm doing a good job. And most of the time, you know, kids don't know that they're not receiving great parenting. So that's not, it, it's just reality. So they're not walking around being like, wow, my parents are really terrible. They might not like you because you set boundaries and whatever you're a parent, it's not your job to be liked. It's your job to be the parent. So I think if you're just trying to be liked, again, we're back to, I want to be the bad guy. I would challenge that. Are you being a good dad? Or are you just trying to be liked? If there are things that show evidence that you, you made some serious mistakes, then that would be a place to work with somebody professionally and, and draw out what those are. And then it's, about what's age appropriate for that young person. Because if they're seven years old or younger or whatever, you don't know, you don't know if they're going to be able to whatever, but typically love is shown through presence and just being really right there with that, with that person. And young people are resilient. Young people can get, don't have to live in the past as much as adults can. But I, I think that there's always an opportunity, especially if they're young to come back and just be present. But again, you got to work with a professional depending on what you feel that you did to violate. But I would watch out for this. I need to be liked and I need to be the popular guy. That sounds a little more egoic than it does necessarily about being a good dad. Um, and there's a lot to tease, tease apart there, but I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that age appropriate uh, conversation and working with someone on this, because I agree that a lot of it depends on, you know, like we've had men who, as they become more conscious, they're aware of a lot of what you spoke to of, wow, I really, I really shut down my kids' emotions. I'm realizing now how much I was uncomfortable with, and therefore I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to. So that kind of nuance and um, showing up differently from now on, and also, yeah, working with someone for what's age appropriate, right? The kid's 14 now and they're acting out. And how do I, what do I do here? 
it, you don't have to do that alone. To your point, you can get help with people that know what they're talking about for that age group that can help. And, and everything matters. Everything matters. You know, I think those points of someone taking responsibility or recognizing, acknowledging, you know, I've had adult figures, not necessarily parents, but adult figures say, I see how hard you were working when you were a teenager to keep it together. And it meant a lot to me that they witnessed me that just being witnessed feels like love to me. So I do think there's a lot of potential for adults who are on their own growth path to actually pass that on and to, to acknowledge and recognize, like you said, in an age appropriate fashion when the person's brain can handle it, but to really see and acknowledge and honor and love that person say, I see you. And I saw you then, and I see how you've grown. And I, I, you're not crazy. That happened. Things happened. You're not crazy. And I think it's also helpful that this is a skill that it's a skill to develop. And, um, I can get, I can work on this skill of connecting with my child. I can work on this skill. I can understand that I may have a language, like you just said, being present or that recognition. I see you. Well, that may, might be a little different for another kid. So it's a skill to develop of identifying what's the pathway there to recognize and to communicate those things. There's a love language there. So again, I, I find that that that's, that's helpful because guys, we can learn skills. We can, we can dig into that. It's not fixed. Either I have it or I don't. It's like, no, I can figure this out. And I can get help on that. If I were to learn a certain skill, I'd probably get somebody to help me out in learning that skill. And it's worth learning that skill. Uh, instead of going through life and saying, I have no idea how to talk to my kid. I just have no idea. Yeah. So as we, as we wrap up here, I'm curious <clears throat> if there's any advice that you would give a new dad who's just, in, just embarking on this journey, what would that be? It's okay that it's hard. Doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It's going to be, it's really challenging and it can be really hard. I think there, it, I would watch out for any of these traps that it shouldn't be hard or that it shouldn't catch you off guard or catch you on your heel from time to time. Um, I think these places where we, we create more suffering when we add that layer on top of it, that if this is hard, then I must be doing it wrong. That's really tough. That's a tough place to live. So what if it's okay for it to be hard and for you to feel lost at times? And even if others around you don't really talk about that, it's, chances are it's, it's also happening for them. It might look easy from the outside, but you have no idea what it's like for them. So I, I think that that can help slow things down. Um, and then whatever you can do to resource yourself and watch out for there is recognizing that your role as a father is going to be different in, than say what another guy does for his family. And also even in terms of your wife, I think it's really important to have a clear agreement of what it means for you to be a father in the house and what it means for her to be the mother. By default, a lot of guys just go with the flow and they wait to be told what to do. And there's an expectation that I should be a second mother. And I should have the hormones that my wife has to intuit what's going on with the child. And I should be able to, I should, I should, I should, I should. And you're not the mom. You're not the second mom. And I think that it, it, it's really helpful to recognize I'm not the second mom. I don't have that bond and I don't have that mysterious, you know, beautiful, crazy 
thing that they've got because they were once one being. Um, so my role is going to be different. And part of my role is having really clear things that I do to take care of myself, supporting her to do things to support herself, but watch out for this expectation that I should be like her. I should be the second version of her in the house. And so bringing that to the table and having those conversations about what it means to be the father, what it means to be the, the mother um, and clarifying that and having really clear agreements instead of like, Hey, I think I want to go do ABC today. What are you talking about? I would never want that. That's crazy. You're a terrible dad that you want to go do that. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. watch out. And then, then it starts, then you're in the, you're really in the trap. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And it's, and it sounds like it can be an ongoing conversation, right? Ongoing. Like, well, one and one, one and done. You're not saying this is one and done, but this, this can be a conversation that, that the dad drives. It's like, Hey, let's talk about this. I want to talk about this. And instead of waiting to be told what to do, sort of leading conversations counts as leading <laughs> just yeah. leading conversations about hard things. That's leadership. It's not, I know what we're going to do here. It's I'm creating a space for us to talk about this because it's important. That's leading. So I think sometimes leading gets conflated with already knowing, and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And one thing we didn't talk about is just how m- most people's sex lives is just demolished when a baby comes. And that doesn't mean that the male, the man doesn't, stop feeling his sexual drive. And so that's another big split that can happen. She's not thinking about sex much, if at all. And he still really is. Mm-hmm. She's fertile and oozing all of this mama juice. And it's like, let's fucking go. I want to get in there. And it's like, no way. And so there can be another split of, I have to stuff that I have to stuff my sexual drive and that's not welcome here. And I'm a terrible dad. If I'm a terrible partner if I want that. So it's just, can you create a safe environment to say, here's where I am and where are you and not make one of the one person wrong? Or, you know, it's like, gosh, you're a terrible wife. If you're not doing this, it's just a, like, can you just talk about it? It's, it's a bumpy place. Yeah. That's a great point too. Cause that's a scary conversation to lead. It's a scary conversation to lead. It's also a necessary conversation and opening it up as a conversation. Hey, I'd love to talk about this. I know it might be hard and it's important. That's an act of love for the partnership, not just your own needs or her needs, but the partnership, right? This, this needs to be talked about between us and the the things that need to be talked about between us often just don't go, they go unsaid or untalked about. And the person willing to, to lead that conversation is that's a loving thing to do. And I think that's, yeah, that's often, I think what you said is really, really well said of, of, I think a lot of men do wait to be told what to do. And there's, and there's such power in not waiting to be told, but leading the conversation, even if you don't know where it's going to go, just that part of exactly what you said, here's where I'm at. I'd love to hear where you're at. And then we can talk about it. And sometimes you might need help. Like you said, right. Sometimes it might be super triggering. And you might be like, we need to get a third nervous system in the room here to help us. The coolest thing would be to just have a standing meeting with a third, third person every month. And every, it's a safe place for everybody to talk about what's going on. Yep. And not wait until there's a fire Mm -hmm. or it's until everything's upside down. Just be like, cool. We just go work through it and it's cool and it gets handled or it's above board and it's weird and whatever. And then, you know, start to navigate that stuff. But you know, that would be ideal if you really cared about your health in the same way, you know, you, you're, you, people go to the gym 
three, four days a week, it's like, yeah, cool. Do that one meeting a month with somebody and where you, you and your wife can speak safely about what's really going on with each other and communicate. It's funny you said that because I just launched a couples course and that is essentially what it is. It's sort of education sessions first, and then it's monthly, monthly closeness sessions. I call them closeness sessions where it's you two and me, and we talk about whatever's up. And so some couples will jot down, Hey, I want to cover this, or they'll think of things for the next one. So that, because they know there's a space where they're going to be able to, to bring things up before they get to be huge. Right? Yeah. This has been on my heart. This has been something I've been thinking about or wanting to talk about and haven't known the right time to bring it up and not sure how to say it right. And so there's this other person here who loves you, you both as a couple that can help with that. And so that you're not alone. But yeah, we're going to talk about the hard things and it's going to be okay. And it's going to, and it's ongoing. So that's a perfect container, I think for that. And it's interesting. They, they did a research study on, on parents and they had um, the control group. And then they had this other group where the parents met with a researcher once a week for an hour and just talked about how's parenting going. That was it. That was the prompt. How's parenting going? And they tracked them for a year. And the parents in the group where they checked in reported a happier marriage and they self-reported as parenting on higher, on a higher scale, right? They were sort of like, how are you doing as a parent, right? Grading yourself and general life satisfaction too. And they weren't guiding those sessions. This, this was just a researcher. They weren't, it wasn't a therapist. It was just someone asking that question and the couple would talk about it. So there is something about just a, a space for reflection of whatever it is that seems to increase well-being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if men are interested in you, your coaching, what's going on with you? Where can they find you? What are you up to these days? Yeah. If you want to learn more about the coaching that I provide, you go to triplinear.com. I wrote a book called This Book Will Make You Dangerous. And you can learn more about that at dangerousbookstore.com or you can just go to Amazon. It's there as well. And then, like uh, you mentioned earlier, the podcast that I've been doing for many years is the New Man Podcast. And that's available everywhere you listen to your podcast. I love um, danger. What is it? Dangerous Bookstore? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great. <laughs> I'm going to go check that out right now. <laughs> I wish we need to flesh it out where you get like, you know, a bullet goes over your head as soon as you walk in. You walk walk under a ladder at some point. Oh, thank you, Trip. That was fun. Thank you, Melanie. I appreciate it. Hey, guys, this is Mel. And this is Jason. You've probably heard me on at least a few episodes by now. And we coach together in part because we know that it's when the masculine and the feminine come together that we are the most powerful. So we wanted to let you know about a free training that we put together for you guys. It's about how to take back control of your love life. We are absolutely inspired to help guys like you take all of the amazing ideas that Mel has introduced to you on this podcast and actually put them into practice, bring them into your life to create lasting change. So if you're interested in that, just go to evolutionary.men slash training to sign up. If you've been looking for a way to go a little bit deeper than just this podcast, this is the opportunity for you. Again, that's evolutionary.men slash training, and you're going to get a much deeper dive with Mel and I.